This week on the pod, we're bringing it back to the sounds of the early 70s with Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, Licorice Pizza, right here on Haven't Seen It. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevene. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening in to us today. We appreciate you. And if Tommy is telling me this correctly, he just checked our Instagram and we are three followers away from 150. So big milestone, big milestone coming up. Go on Instagram at seenitpod. Give us a follow. We make some pretty good posts on there. Same on Twitter at seenitpod. And while you're at it, head over to wherever you're listening to Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever. Leave us a five star review. Maybe even subscribe. I don't know, but it would be big help to us. We're trying to grow. Every one of those things count. So thank you to everybody who has already done that and to the people that are now doing it because they heard me tell them to do it. Thank you. Good job, guys. <laughs> we believe in you. <laughs> so, so Tommy and I saw Licorice Pizza together. It's our first movie that we're recording on the pod that we got to actually see together. How did it feel, Tommy? Uh, it felt very magical. You know, we got to go to the movie theater together. Uh, first time in a while we've done that together either, too. So had a fun time. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a great time. Uh, I have This is my third time seeing Licorice Pizza. Um, I have not seen it since November, though, so I definitely needed to retouch upon it before we were able to like dive deep into this. Yeah, jog the memory a little bit. <laughs> yeah, definitely jog the memory, and I'm really glad we did. We then got to go and watch the end of the, the Bengals-Chiefs game, Tommy, how big of a Joe Burrow fan are you now, Mr. Joe? Um, I'm just glad the Bengals are win- uh, going to the Super Bowl and not the Chiefs because the Chiefs just, I don't know. Not, not, a, fan like of Patrick Mah- not a big fan of Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> or specifically uh, Patrick Mahomes' girlfriend pouring champagne on people in the fucking middle of the winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Mah- yeah. She's not a great look, but that's so. what we did yesterday. It's sports talk now. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's sports talk now. It's and we're that's that's how we spent our first outing as a as a as a podcast. We had two friends along who were there. It was totally a podcast event and not four friends going to see a movie. It was really yeah, magical. They, they they became part of our homework, so we brought them along. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's why today we're covering licorice licorice pizza. Everyone's talking about licorice pizza these days, right? That's because it's the greatest thing to happen in movies since the invention of sound. Everyone wants those advanced tickets. Yes, it's the new hit film from Paul Thomas Anderson with Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman. Yellow. Sean Penn. Tom Waits. Coming in hot. Bradley Cooper. Benny Safdie. And some special guests. I'm John Peters. My only problem in life is I don't love tail too much. Is that your sister? Advanced tickets to select theaters in Los Angeles and New York are on sale now. So you're going to want to go to licoricepizzamovie.com and you're going to want to figure out some tickets. Licorice pizza in select theaters november 26th everywhere christmas day rated r so tommy this is your first time seeing licorice pizza you're the one who hasn't seen it 
let's let's leave it a little spoiler free for maybe some of our friends who haven't seen it yet and want to get yeah. a general idea of our thoughts of it before we dive deeper in tell me how did you enjoy licorice pizza so i really really love this movie um it reminds me of like some of my favorite like 70s hangout movies like uh days confused is one i bring up a lot and uh, a lot of richard Linklater stuff like that like everybody wants um more of just general just vibe or you're just interacting with the characters and the characters are people you want to be around with you want to hang out with you want to be in that world and uh as someone who always loves the 70s movies like this and almost famous uh this was another good one this is another great one and I, i'm really glad that we saw it <laughs> yeah i i will echo that sentiment i i haven't seen everything that i need to see for 2021 yet but i will say that this was easily my favorite of 2021 and i don't know what could possibly top this as my favorite of the year um this movie's a fever dream from start to finish uh everything about it goes in one direction it's a non-stop action-packed adventure with no action if that makes sense all the scenes and all the sequences are so vivid it's shot so well the soundtrack and the score are incredible to me, it was just, it was a complete picture. And I think we don't get a lot of that now. And especially in like the rom-com category, because this was essentially a, a hangout rom-com movie, as you, as you were saying, with the hangout movies of the 70s, uh, like the Linklaters. Uh, that, that's my thoughts. I, I absolutely adored this movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go to a theater and see it. If you can't go to a theater... You can probably find it video on demand on Amazon or something. They do a lot of those movies are now available there. I got to imagine this comes on video pretty soon. <laughs> so Yeah, the, the December release and we're releasing this podcast in February. It's going to be we're, up for Oscars. It's going to be up for Oscars. If you want to get prepped for Oscars early, definitely check out Licorice Pizza. 100%. So this movie uh, was up for the Golden Globes recently. Alana Hom. Um, was uh, nominated for Golden Globe. And she's great. Haim, Hom, I always I always forget it. As aren't aren't loves, they one of your favorite bands? How do you? They're forget? one of my favorite bands, but it's somehow it's just one of those things you never really hear the name when you're uh, listening to the band, so you always just fuck it up a little bit. But um, yeah, I've seen um, them now four times. Uh, Haim or Hom, I'm going to Hom for us uh, podcast. Um, Hom is uh, the one of the people in the band Hom is in the movie as the star, Alana Hom. She's really great in this movie. Just really naturalistic performance. First time I've, uh, she's ever been in a movie or TV show, really acting outside of like a music video for her band. And she was a great captivating lead. I mean, I'm really excited to see what she goes for next. Yeah. Yeah, she was fantastic in it. And along with Cooper Hoffman, who is Philip Seymour Hoffman's son and... Paul Thomas Anderson and Philip Seymour Hoffman famously had a fantastic working relationship. They were terrific friends. And this is his first movie. His, uh, and he is great. It's very naturalistic rhythm. I really liked the idea of pairing two inexperienced actors together to give that naturalistic performance. Because I think it they are able to work well off each other because they're probably in between takes and stuff. They're both making the same mistakes. The level of nerves are both there for them because they don't want to mess it up. And then they're yep. surrounded by a cavalcade of cast here. We have Sean Penn 
Tom Waits, Bradley Cooper, Benny Safdie, just to name a few, just to name a few that have a fairly prominent role in the movie. That kind of diction that they're they're able to go back and forth, it, it's really sweet. And I mean, let's we're about to dive into spoilers, guys. Uh, so it, heavy spoiler a, warning for a movie that doesn't really have that much plot. So <laughs> yeah, if you care. Oh, spoiler alert! So the idea, the premise of the movie, which is a touch, a touch taboo, is that Alana Haim works at Twinkle Toes, right? That's what it was called. It's the yeah. it's like a, a school photography thing, and she's at Gary Valentine's High School as a 25-year-old working as a photo assistant, kind of going nowhere in life. And Gary Valentine starts flirting with her aggressively and convinces her to meet her out for, for dinner. And th- they kind of rip the Band-Aid right off the bat with it, too. Like, yeah. I think they say in so, the first scene, you, you this is really illegal. We cannot do this. Yeah, so you didn't really touch upon this that much, but um, Gary Valentine himself is a 15-year-old kid who's hit on someone 10 years uh, his senior. So it's one of those things. To it. Yeah. So, uh, well, there you go. <laughs> There's the yeah. buildup. Yeah, they, they, yeah, it's taboo. There was, there are people that do not like this movie strictly because of that age gap and they just can't get over it. But I think it's one of those things that it's, it's only there to challenge you and like your preconceptions. There's no need for it other than the fact that it's taboo. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's it's one of those things. I also like the way they handle it. It's, I mean, it's a very delicate way that in the wrong hands, this could come off as a very creepy movie where it's just like, oh God, this just feels like very, the movie to an extent already feels slimy, but this would have made it like to an extra push if um, if it was turned around the other way and it was Alana um, Haim's character um, hitting on the 15-year-old kid in the beginning of the movie, then this would be a movie would be like, what am I watching right now? But they, the way they reverse it where it's the 15-year-old thing on the 25-year-old, I don't know, it makes it a little better, <laughs> at least yeah. when watching the movie. Well, I, I think this clip right here kind of, this is a good example of one, the chemistry they have here, and two, why it works. Um, what are your plans? I don't know. What's your future look like? I don't know. How do you like working at Tiny Toes? I hate working at Tiny Toes. You should start your own business. <laughs> what business should I be in? I don't know. What do you like? I don't know. You're an actress. You should be an actress. <laughs> so how'd you become such a hotshot actor? I'm a showman. It's my calling. <sighs> I don't know how to do anything else. It's what I'm meant to do. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I've been a song and dance Come man. Come on. Ever since you were a kid, song and dance man. Where are your parents? My mom works for me. Oh, of course she does. Yes, she does that in my public sense. relations company. In your public relations company? Because you have that. Yes. And you're an actor. Yes. And you're a secret agent too. Well, no, I'm not a secret agent. <laughs> That's funny. This is one of the this is the beginning of the movie, but I think it shows the distinction between the characters there. Gary's a hustler. Like he's a street born hustler throughout this entire movie. He's a child actor star. And like, and when I say that, I said at the beginning, this movie's a fever dream. Within the first 15 minutes, you are flown to New York and Gary 
Valentine is dressed in pajamas with a bunch of the traveling act of kids doing this very like 1950s song and dance routine from some movie with like a pillow fight on the stage and it, it's it only goes from there um after that he starts his own waterbed business he walks into like i don't even he walks into like a wig shop and just yeah. starts a starts sees a waterbed and it's like what if i started that business so do, do you know who uh, plays the guy who says on the waterbed in the movie <laughs> uh who leonardo DiCaprio's father <laughs> okay that's who i thought it was i thought i saw it was who jack DiCaprio. oh oh like you knew <laughs> yeah no well i saw dicaprio i made the assumption of the relationship i didn't know for a fact yeah but i think the chemistry is really strong there and i i think you can kind of hear it in that too i wonder if that was one of the earlier scenes that they shot because it would make sense this where they don't know each other that well yet let's shoot that especially with inexperienced actors I think it comes off really, really well there. They, you can sense that she knows it's wrong in her voice that she's sitting there with this kid. She's like, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) Yeah. But the, but the intentions are clear. Gary has a plan in life. He's a child actor. He's a, he's a hustler. He's a street born hustler. Alana's working at tiny toes at 25, taking pictures of school kids. And she has no idea what she wants to do with her life at 25. Now, typically, you would find those roles reversed in a movie, but when you invert them on the ages and you make Gary the hustler chasing the older girl, it doesn't make it okay. Of course not. But if you're watching a movie, you can take the blinders off and just go, okay, I can just enjoy this because this isn't like a predatory situation here. And he actually like helps her. Yeah, it never comes off as like creepy or like very weird, even though uh, as, uh, you know, premise it kind of is to an extent where it's like, okay, but um, the, the chemistry between the two actors is so great when like, you don't, you're not even really thinking about that and you're thinking more, you know, Alana, they don't really make her character the best person in the world. They really basically say like, hey, this person's in kind of like arrested development limbo right now where like she's in that weird in between phase after college. I don't even think she graduated college as uh, this character, but you know, where she's like, what am I going to do with my life? I have no fucking clue what's going on. Just pretty much just going around and doing nothing. It's just like, oh, this 15-year-old kid's hitting on me. Fine. You know, I'll, I'll call his bluff right now and see if he wants to actually go to this restaurant, you know? <laughs> yeah. And well, and I think the other thing that really works to quell the age gap is because he, the younger one seems so much more mature than the older one. It helps you ease you, the viewer, into the movie. And then he's also kind of lifting her out from endless like this never-ending endlessness of of her life where she's just stuck taking pictures of kids like i wouldn't want to be doing that at 25 and she becomes his partner in his waterbed business she goes out for movie auditions she there's that great scene with the uh the the child uh, actress uh uh, casting or agent the the movie agent you know who you know which scene i'm talking about what the one of sean penn or no uh, no no not the one with sean penn the one with uh the one with mary it's uh harriet oh, samson harris plays mary grady yeah yeah so that's a great scene where she's basically just like acting uh telling alana just like okay like how are you gonna be an actress like what are you gonna do right here what's going on you know what can you do what can you say and um 
what's his name? Uh, Cooper Hoffman's character. I'm always, Gary. Gary. He's like, just say yes to everything. So she's like, can you uh, horseback ride? Yes. Can you speak Spanish? Can you speak Portuguese? Can you speak French? Yes, 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 yes. It just gets more comically over the top. Where it's just like, okay, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's it's funny too because there's one scene where it's like, yeah, and I and I also know the Israeli arts of Krav Maga, and she's like, what is that, honey? And and she goes, well, it, you know, it's basically I can stab somebody's eye with a pen, and she just like breaks down. You know what you are? You're a goddamn fighter. You come in here so pretty, so beautiful, and with that Jewish nose, like. They were very blunt and very 70s about like the way people treated race back then. And especially in a place like Hollywood, where you are judged on everything about your appearance, because that is what is being portrayed on the screen. Yeah. Um, she's very blunt about it, but I, I like was crying laughing when she does that. You're like a goddamn pit bull with a Jewish nose. That that scene is so great too, because it's like almost tension when you're first watching it. Where like, is she gonna tell like Alana get the fuck out of my office right now? But instead, like she ends up just buying it and just going for it and just like, yeah, I love this girl. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it and it was apparent there that that's where the kind of like the switch in the movie came because after Gary does his trip to New York, he comes back and does an audition for like an ad read, and it's. You know, it's the he's twice the size of everybody in the casting room, and he walks in, and it's Maya Rudolph, who is Paul Thomas Anderson's wife, but they're not legally married, but they call each other husband and wife, and they have like kids together, but they're like the slimy casting directors for like commercials and stuff like that, and you know he does his whole run, and then Maya Rudolph just ma makes the face as he walks in, because you know, and he's given the whole feel like ah you still got it gary you still got it and then he walks out and she just turns to him and goes it goes like she just like lowers her lip and goes like like just like yeah, yeah just like, what, nope, what is going no, on why, why was Next. this guy in here and then he's never he's no longer an actor from that point in the movie yeah where it's very clearly like where gary uh is very ambitious to say the least i mean at this point in the, uh in the movie or the movie in general he has like what like two or three uh businesses that he starts up from scratch <laughs> so well, the water bed it's two businesses and the acting career yeah but he runs like a pr company with his mom who is played by that's the that was the waitress right yeah the waitress from always sunny in philadelphia, sunny in philadelphia. yeah what yeah. i can't recall her name mary mary elizabeth uh, ellis something yeah isn't um, she is she isn't she married to charlie day too yeah so that's another great thing where it's just yeah <laughs> a lot so. of little cameos including the great john c Riley. he makes a one second cameo in this movie and playing played... uh fred gwynn um from the monsters fame also from uh one of my favorite horror movies pet cemetery <laughs> yeah but yeah so as well as he was dressed up as herman munster at a teen convention <laughs> And you just, yeah. you just auto, if, if he didn't say a line of audio, you'd have no idea he was there. But then you just hear that John C. Riley voice and you're like, motherfucker, that's John C. Riley right there. If I remember correctly, his one line too is like, yes, I'm the real uh, Herman Munster. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah so, something like that. Because I think he would famously go to those conventions. Like he went to the Comic Cons before all the washed up celebrities started going to Comic Con to make money off signatures. Yeah. Well, hey, they, dude, they, they make fucking bank. Like, uh, we're just oh, thinking they, about... But I went to Harakon, uh, like, 
back in September and like Matthew Lillard, for example, charged a hundred bucks for signatures and he had a line going out the door. He did probably made like at least almost six figures just from signatures alone that day. It's, he did not make six, six figures that day. You're wildly un- overestimating. I, I, no, many... what, 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 no, yeah. I, I think, I think there's about like at least like uh, hundreds of people, but he made uh, probably like, Made close to like 50k or something like that, but still probably made like fifteen thousand dollars, but that's still a nice chunk of change for signing pieces of paper. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good, that. very good math, Tommy. I if I ever have to launder money, I'm gonna have hire you as my accountant. I, that's why I'm a podcaster for movies and not for finance. Don't trust me for that. <laughs> Do, don't trust Tommy for that. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> he only bought GameStop. That's the only stock he's ever bought. Yeah. But, Power to but, the gamers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't That shouldn't be funny, but it is. Uh, it is. It's, it's still. <laughs> but yeah, so from the, this movie is like a fever dream. I don't even know how to explain it. Kind well, of. No, I know how I, to, but it, it's hard to just to just kind of. It's just giving, we're just trying to paint a picture for you here. You need to experience this movie for yourself. I guess the best way to say it is that it really is like a series of vignettes of, um, like I said, it's very much a hangout movie where, you know, at the end of the day, the plot is nothing more than, um, you know, living a day in the life or day in like, you know, months of these two characters, uh, Cooper Hoffman's character, Gary, and Alana Ham's character, Alana. <laughs> so really easy to remember that one. But and, you know, pretty much just goes from like scene to scene to scene where it's just like, here's a crazy Hollywood cameo from someone from the 70s or based on someone from the 70s. And here's this crazy thing. Here's this crazy thing. It just goes from there to there to there. And it's not really much is happening to the characters other than just reacting to the crazy shit that's going on in their life, especially in California in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very good way to put it. It's just It's just a glimpse of life through these characters that are doing this very... 70s thing uh the score is very is like on the on the nose here too you have you have uh peace frog by the doors but your mind from sunny bono blue sands from buddy colette life on mars with david bowie it's really a fantastic arrangement of songs include and with the original score too i don't want to take away from that too because it mixes in together very nicely the sound the music everything one thing i do want to mention i and i want to see what your take on this is tommy we just covered the matrix that was the last movie we covered where that was episode five we're on episode six yeah for a movie that had so much exposition in the matrix i don't think this movie had a line of exposition in it no, it, it, well, that's like what, what what the best like hangout comedies are like that. That's where they immediately expect you to jump in and be like, okay, this is what it is. Here you go. I mean, I guess the exposition was handled in a very way that was like kind of gracefully. Um, I mean, I guess the closest we had to exposition was the scene where they're in the uh, in the diner and they see Nixon talking about the gas shortage of the 1970s. That would have to be the closest thing I have to say to exposition. And even then, that was just them watching the news and somehow it felt natural, just them hanging out and oh shit, this thing's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. That was the only exposition and it was to explain the rubber shortage. But I love how they shot it too, because Gary is looking at the newspaper and Alana tries to seem smarter than she is for sure. 
and she's like watching the news do you understand what this means and gary is just looking at like the porn movies that are playing <laughs> like he's just looking yeah. at the clips of like the vintage 70s pornos Paul like Thomas Anderson pro. really does have a thing for for seventies porn. It's he almost does. like he made a whole movie about seventies porn or something. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, he did. Yeah, what? <laughs> he did. Yeah, I know. Shocker. Buggy nights. <laughs> Who have ever oh. guessed? Oh, I would have never never heard of it. Um, I guess I just grew up in a good Christian household. Yeah, yeah. I guess the difference. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, no, it's one of those things that, like, yeah, they handled it very delicately within the dialogue where, like, things were told to you, information was told to you. But again, like I was saying in our Matrix pod last week, not, if there was any exposition, none of it felt very noticeable. None of it felt very preachy. None of it felt very scholarly. Uh, you know, like, like what you're, you're saying in the class, watching this bullshit. So, no, um, it, no. And there's barely any of it. And, the character relationships there's no exposition either it's just straight up this is what happens the moment they meet from there on in everything else is kind of just that and like as we said it was only to explain that why they're moving away from the waterbed business is because there's a gas shortage also i like that paul thomas anderson just like picked like 1973 and then just put a bunch of shit from the 70s in there being like the the time of these things doesn't matter at all <laughs> like yeah gas shortage just like 78 and this it takes place in like 1973 what what was it was it that far off i mean i i, I was trying to think because yeah. i thought it was like mid 70s like 75 it was like 78 it was like 78 to wikipedia we will go where no, we, we, we don't need to go to wikipedia um one thing i also really appreciate about it and especially in contrast to quentin tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood which was without question a love letter to that era of hollywood full cap this was like a love letter to the sleaze of that era <laughs> like yeah this movie yeah, is it... very sleazy and the least sleazy thing about this movie is a 15 year old trying to aggressively hook up with a 25 year old that's like the least sleazy thing in the movie everything else about this is so sleazy but it's undercut in such like a warm vibrant way that you don't you definitely don't notice how sleazy it is the first time but me going into my third viewing i was like damn this movie is sleazy it is like all these people are just creeps like everybody they interact with is not a good person yeah Oh, it's one of those things that like the tone of the movie is so light and quippy and like very like uh, like very funny and very bright and energetic, and then you don't realize that like okay, Sean Penn's character creep, uh, fucking Tom Waits' character is just like a crazy drunk, you know. <laughs> and you go yeah. on and on. <laughs> yeah. So for that, so Tom Waits' character, hang on, I have the information written right here. Was an homage to filmmaker Mark Robeson. His name was Rex Blau in the movie, but he directed The Bridge of Tokori, Peyton Place, and The Valley of the Dolls. And he was partnered with Jack Holden, played by Sean Penn, who was an homage to William Holden, who was the star of Sunset Boulevard, Bridge on the River Kwai, The Wild Bunch, and Network. And he won an Oscar for Stellag 17. Like, and Sean Penn was absolutely perfect in that role. Yeah, he, he was very much of like, like very cocky, uh, like full himself actor. So, um, grizzled like, veteran. Yeah, like we were talking about sleaze earlier. Tom Waits, uh, the great Tom Waits. Uh, the, you know, you know what the Valley of the Dolls is about. <laughs> it's just basically a California exploitation movie. 
about like all oh, these crazy girls are getting the trouble in California. You know, like one of those kind of sleazeball movies. <laughs> it's one of the more famous sleazeball movies too from that era that's still around. Um, well, and yeah. I, I want to keep on bringing up this word fever dream. So Alana auditions for some Jack Holden movie that he's going to be in and he takes her out for drinks after where, you know, his intention is just like, I've already bagged this girl. Like, I don't have to really talk to her. He, they're sitting at dinner, literally reciting lines and Cooper walks into the restaurant and it, it's great tension between them because he's coming in with girls. Alana's there with guys and the movie ebbs and flows like they their relationship is great then they get into a fight and then they kind of separate but they see each other from afar and then they get back together and then they fight and and so on and so forth that's kind of the pattern of their relationship in the movie and like cooper hoffman is you know as gary 15 year old sitting in this like restaurant and she's watching tom waits and sean penn have a sword fight with with knives at a, at a table at a fancy restaurant and then Tom waits out of the blue, goes, ah, I'm off to set up the film. And they he sets up a motorcycle chase, uh, like a motorcycle jump on the eighth green of this golf course. And everybody just comes running out. And Sean Penn does this motorcycle jump. Like, this is a fever dream. That That is absolutely insane that uh, yeah, five, five minutes notice, you'll come out. You've had like four martinis. You're going to do a motorcycle jump right now. Great, great, great. That, great idea. <laughs> that is that, but that's like that's the beauty of the movie is that so much of it is very original, but based in reality and put to such like a warm charm, like fulfilling feeling. But well, it's, it's sleazy. It's a sleazy movie. Well, no, exactly. It's got all that blurred together. It's it makes a wonderful, wonderful well, pie of a movie. A lot, a lot of that, uh, a lot of the stuff in the movie is based on like real accounts that Paul Thomas Anderson himself discovered in California. Like uh, that motorcycle scene you were just talking about right back there was um, inspired by a story that Paul Thomas Anderson himself heard as a kid. The evil Knievel attempted to jump a number of vehicles on his motorcycle outside of a bar in the valley, but instead of making the jump, uh, evil Knievel drunkenly crashed into a parked car before he could make it into a ramp. <laughs> I wish we got that version. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. Uh, so we kind of see that a little bit in the movie where like, you know, uh, Alana is on the back of uh, Sean Penn and immediately gets flung off the motorcycle. But uh, And the last thing she whispers to him was, do you even remember my real name? Because he was just calling her like the character she auditioned for the entire time. Yeah. And <laughs> cool. you, get, you get the sense that that's his daily routine is whatever girl that auditioned, he'll take her out to dinner and do whatever he would like to do with her and then never see her again. You get, yeah. You've got that sleazy... Make make um, her feel like she's the best thing in the world, and the next day just goes there. <laughs> yes, essentially, uh, yeah. and she kind of saw through that. And then you get the nice running scene of Gary running to pick up Alana when no everybody else is watching the motorcycle jump. There's a lot yeah. of running in this movie. That that is maybe my one complaint. There's too much running. A lot of running. It's very basically characters running from one location to the next in a lot of scenes. And that's how he transitions. Like this is how they, they you don't need to see the character going from point A to point B all the time. Uh, PTA, come on. <laughs> yeah, but and like it's like Alana in like four inch heels, like running. It's like please come on. Come, she's not running in four inch heels. She's just not. It's just not happening. I know. <laughs> I know PTA. I understand this is a fairy tale set in the San Fernando Valley, but I don't care. I'm just. But I know. I know. Fuck I know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. 
I'm telling Paul Thomas Anderson, when you listen to this, release the no running edit of Licorice Pizza, and I'll call it a masterpiece. <laughs> that, that was your one, one thing that's making you a uh, giveaway from five stars. Uh, just honestly, too much uh, honestly <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> Because it's re- I, I, it's really hard for me to be critical of this movie. I mean, you could be critical of the age thing. That's kind of your discretion. To me, it's just I'm watching a movie. I don't know. Like, it's it's a story. It's not real. And I understand these real things happen. But if you're that yeah. offended, don't watch it. But for me, it's a movie, and it, the movie's a fairy tale. It's nowhere in the slightest real. And yeah and in the sense of this this kind of vignette story being told the last waterbed that gary valentine ever sells is to john peters played by bradley cooper and boy oh boy what a performance by john peters oh sorry to interrupt but john peters in general uh, played by bradley cooper (laughs) Uh, i just said that Tom. yeah i i I thought you were about to about to get to it but um yeah (laughs) bradley cooper uh just came into the movie you know shot his like a little like 15 to the quick heat check and immediately was just like okay that's it i'm in and you're like the whole time you're watching it's like why is john pierce not in this movie more can't we just have one more scene of him doing crazy shit like we saw in the trailers (laughs) so this is this is his entrance here and this is Maybe not the best clip, but it's the only one I can find that's in good audio and not from like an illegal movie theater recording. Are you are you in charge? Yeah, I'm in charge. May I just speak with you for a second? Yeah, sure. Thanks. You can tell your crew to stop. Stop for a sec, guys. Um, so this is what I want to say to you. Um, do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands, like the ocean, like beaches. Barbicide sand? No, but stray sand. Sand. Stray sand. Stray sand. Barbara stray sand. <laughs> Barbara stray sand. That's the only, like, really good clip I can find, but even in the trailer, like, you talked, he says the line to Carrie, he's like, I love it. I love Tales so much. I love it so goddamn much. And John Peters threatens him because there's the gas shortage. They arrive to the house late. He doesn't like strangers in the house when he's not there, whatever. And they decide to just flood the bedroom because they're just like, he's an asshole. He threatened Gary's brother, who's one of like his cronies that helps him do all his shit. And as they're, they're making their escape, they, John Peters is walking up because his Ferrari ran out of gas. And he runs up to that. They drive back up to the scene of the crime where his assistant is very clearly running out to tell him what these people who just drove him up here were about to do, and he had he wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> and then they drive back, and he just flirts with Alana the entire time, and it is unbelievable. And it's just it's part of that tension where where it, it just grows. And he, he like they're trying to drive past the Ferrari, and he like jumps over gary and like puts his crotch in alana's face as she's driving this truck and 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 he like leans into her like essentially kissing her being like just a little more just a little more just a little more like like air humping her like this dude is aggressively horny i know john peters is kind of a wild guy and i i know there's some stories about him i don't know how 
how horny he got. But man, oh man, in this movie, he was horny to the max. It wasn't that much of a like change from what John Pierce was uh, generally in Hollywood in the 70s. I mean, he pretty much, uh, Paul Thomas Harrison asked him for permission to film this scene uh, with him in the movie. And he was like, yeah, cool, that's fine. Um, he just like added a character moment that like, yeah, I would probably hit on Alana a lot if this was back in the 70s. Like, <laughs> even, that was, even, that even was his note in the script. Himself. Yeah, yeah, like I'd be hitting on Alana right here. Stephen John Pierce knew of like what his bullshitness, where like, dude, like the guy fucking. I looked this up uh, last night. The guy was married to Pamela Anderson two years ago. <laughs> Are they still married? I would imagine. No, no that that apparently was a sixteen day uh, relationship or something like that, or sixteen day marriage. But still, this is the kind of guy that even is like what sixties or seventies at this point. John Peters is just a crazy motherfucker. <laughs> he's, he's got that Hugh Hefner gene. You just can't tie a guy like that down. Exactly. No. <laughs> I, he was Bradley Cooper in this movie was just unbelievable. It was Paul Thomas Anderson has this just innate ability to take actors and put them in this isolated scene that if you kind of chopped it from the movie, it doesn't really do anything. Like if you chop that whole sequence, you could get Alana to Joel Walk's office another way or wakes whatever however you yeah. pronounce his last name but Paul Thomas Anderson has his way and I think Boogie Nights is the best example of this with the Alfred Molina scene oh yeah that seems great <laughs> with, which is the drug deal scene from uh from Boogie Nights with uh, Sister Christian and uh Jesse's girl it's just which if you isolate the movie it has no impact on the story but it in context of that movie it, it it's the energy the movie needs and it's just a mini movie in the movie that you could just watch over and over and over again and it's like 10 minutes long and yeah. that's how i feel with that scene this scene it, comes on anytime i will be watching it on hbo showtime you pick it i'll watch in the it. future it's perfect pacing where it's just at this point in the movie the movie's kind of going and it kind of like it's still fun, but in kind of a more like direction where it's like, okay, let's let's spice something, uh, let's spice it up a little bit. Let's add in an element to uh, let's where it's like, okay, what the fuck just happened? What's going on? <laughs> and John Peters is just pretty much a bull in a china shop where immediately Bradley Cooper's in the movie, and you're like, I want to watch this. I need this. <laughs> yeah, I agree. He is remarkable. It, it, it's one of his best performances, I think. And he's in the movie for 12 minutes. It's at best. <laughs> and the best thing, the last time you see him, like, so they drive him to the gas station, they ditch him there. They have a whole adventure of like the car losing gas in the, the hills and Alana having to reverse the car down, which is some crazy stunt driving when you think about it. And the, the car ends up somewhere on one of the streets in, of L.A., they walk to the gas station to get gas for it. And Alana's just like sitting by herself, like kind of dejected with her life because she's hanging out with a bunch of 15-year-olds. Uh, and John Peters walked by, literally smashes a window and then sees two women walking in tennis attire to it. He like walks by them and then you just see him reverse, chase around, being like, yeah. hey, ladies, ladies. Oh, what kind of sandwich do you like? Do you like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, how's your forehand? You just like start hearing, you hear this in the background off screen. It was, un Bradley Cooper must be pretty good with the ladies. I'd have to imagine, you know. Well, well John Peters in general, where <laughs> it's uh, apparently, uh, according to IMDb, take up a grain of salt. 
but uh, the two actors, Alana and um, Cooper, weren't aware that Bradley Cooper was even in the movie until that scene that we played earlier where he walked up to him and it was just like, who's in charge? <laughs> Can oh, you so yeah. Kane didn't Haim didn't know that she, that Cooper was going to be in it and Cooper didn't know that Haim was in it. No, no, no Cooper uh, both of them didn't know that Bradley Cooper was going to be in the movie <laughs> until that scene. Oh, oh, so they he just called up Bradley Cooper and was like, "Hey, it's COVID. You want to make a movie? Like you want to be in this for like 15 minutes?" Yeah, exactly. All right, what am so, I doing? You're going to be a horn dog. Yeah. I'm in. You're you're going to be fucking John Peters where uh He's worked, Bradley Cooper's worked with John Peters before because of uh, Stars Born, because that's Bradley Cooper's fucking um, John Peters' thing, rather. <laughs> He's a producer partner on it. <laughs> I did not realize that John Peters, wow, that's a good connection. So he so, so he had some insight. He had some firsthand insight into that horniness. Yeah, exactly. So, And he's one of those characters, like I was saying before, um, where in Hollywood today, I mean, or even like, you know, past his uh, moment in this movie in the 90s, John Peters was known as being just a crazy motherfucker. Like, uh, you've heard the story of how, uh, I told you this a little bit last night, but how uh, John Peters owned the rights to Superman in the 90s, and he hired uh, Kevin Smith to write Superman at the time. Right? <laughs> I, told, I told you a little bit of this. Well, you know, we have an audience, so maybe you tell them. Well, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I was leaning you into it. Uh, but anyways, uh, so in the 90s, uh, John Peters had the rights to Superman. This was after Christopher Reeve and everything like that. And um, he hired Kevin Smith of Clerks fame to um, write the script because apparently all they want, uh, the only thing that got Kevin Smith the job was because he wrote for wrote a Star Wars joke. But anyways, going on. So uh, John Peters didn't know anything about Superman and he pretty much said, fuck the lore, fuck everything about it. Um, he hated most of the things about Superman. He told uh, Kevin Smith when he wrote the script, Superman can never fly. He can't appear in his trademark costume, and he wants Sean Penn to play him because he thought that Sean Penn was a uh, fucking caged animal, a fucking killer. So he didn't know anything about Superman. Well, well, he well he was correct about Sean Penn being like a caged killer. That's pretty accurate. Also, I want to see John Peters Superman so badly. It, that sounds so awesome. Just everything you know about Superman out the window. I'm I'm fully in on that. Exactly. Like, I'm, and, full, and I'm, I'm fully in. My favorite part is that he wanted uh, fucking Kevin Smith to write a giant spider in some movie. He said for no reason, they're like, we need a fucking giant spider. This was like the 70s Coke effect coming still off John Peters right here. <laughs> and over and over again until we saw, um, so they scrapped the Superman project. And then two years later, fucking Wild Wild West, produced by John Peters, has a giant fucking spider in it. <laughs> I think I need to see every movie John Peters has ever produced, especially when he was in, in his drug field phase, because they all just sound pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. Did the drug field phase ever uh, end? <laughs> no question. I mean, he's still alive, so maybe. Possibly. I don't know. It's very possible. Um, yeah, the the last person we got to touch upon is Benny Safdie, who is the director of Uncut Gems and Good Time. He plays L.A. Councilman, Councilman Joel Walks, who, who was a real person. And this is what Alana and Gary separate for the last time. He's in it for the last 20 minutes of the movie or whatever. And Joel Walks is a homosexual. And there's like, the, well, first of all, the office that, that they were in gave me major taxi driver vibes. 
That's what I was thinking like, the whole time. That was that was a, a straight out of it, especially with the creep. Who yeah. I wasn't sure who that was, but didn't it look like Matt Bomber if Matt Bomber was much taller? Um, I'm gonna pretend I know who Matt Bomber is. He so. was Neil Caffrey in uh, White Collar. You're acting like I've seen White Collar. <laughs> um, he was the guy. He was the best looking guy in Magic Mike, not named Channing Tatum. I know you've seen Magic Mike, Tommy. I haven't seen Magic Mike either. I mean, I know Channing Tatum and Joe Magnolia. <laughs> I, uh, Tommy, I, 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 Tommy, right, well, you don't, to, you don't to, need to lie to me. You don't need to, to lie to me. To Google I go, uh, Matt Bomber. A riveting podcasting here. Look at him go. His <laughs> fingers are furious as he's typing Straight in up. deep, looking for Matthew Bomber's face on Google. All right, he was in a movie I've seen called The Nice Guys, but I have no idea who the fuck he is. Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> great so podcasting right here. <laughs> great podcasting. Totally scripted. But This is where we go. <laughs> but he, he is the character that looks like Matthew Bomber, but taller is there to he's an enemy he's a political he's basically being hired by whatever opponent political opponent he has to confirm the rumors that he's gay because they when you meet joel walks he's being interviewed and they're asking about how a man like him is still single and how he's a bachelor and he's giving all these bs excuses my time is spoken for it's for the city i i who could even possibly keep up with my way of life and he invites Alana to the restaurant and Alana is a very floaty character and she just goes to whoever she thinks might get her along farther. That's kind of my, she's kind of a bit of a parasite, honestly, like a social parasite. And she just goes to wherever she, she's asked. Pretty much. Yeah. And what, and I think it works too, because you need that floaty character, but mm. he, you know, who the boy, who's the boyfriend? Cause he was great. Like they sit down at the thing, and it's kind of—it's definitely set up like, like it's a date that she's going yeah. there, and then he gets she gets to the table, and they just start having a fight over it, and it's like, well, Joel, what about me? What about me? It's always about you, Mark. It's always about you. Now I invited Alana here to have a drink for us. She was running late, and then you and your girlfriend Alana will be walking home. Oh, and that's to my place. Are you going to be shopping by my place? Can we just talk about this at another time, please? It was, it was yeah, excellent. Yeah. It was excellent, excellent. We're, but I just what? Where it was another almost exposition thing where um, where it's just very clearly explained like, hey, these two characters, uh, Benny Safety is that's not exp- game. That's not, not exposition ex- though. That was ca- it was character. It gave you a full character. insight into yeah. his relationship. That's all it did. That's all it was. And that's why it's I enjoy it because I think we don't get a lot of movies anymore that are just this movie was a hundred percent character and and like zero percent exposition. Zero percent plot zero percent plot. And I think yeah. that's kind of the beauty that's, of it. Yeah, exactly. And that is where I I want to know one thing, Tommy. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I'm a big, bright, shining star. Who's the star of the show? Well, first of all, Paul Thomas Anderson for uh, finally being relevant on the star, star, star section. But uh, oh, so, hey, nice shout out yeah, there. Yes, exactly, right there. So that, uh, anyways, I think the more I think about it, I had to take a second right there to think about it because I um, I didn't prepare for that. Um, even though I know it's coming, uh, Cooper Hoffman, I think honestly, because you know. 
Um, this is a weird movie where, uh, how many movies can you name where both of the leads you've never heard of? Uh, I mean, as, a, as an actor before, at least in the case of a lot. You know, not that many. And Cooper and Alana to an extent, um, or not even to an extent, both were so great. And Cooper especially was just leapt off, you know, the screen right there. And he just had natural charisma. He clearly inherited his father, Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, acting genes right there. And he was a very naturalistic actor, very funny, very charming, very witty, and like pretty much just blew me away. And I hope that he's going to be in more movies. Hope he, you know, in this period, maybe he gets a good teen comedy out of him, or maybe we get more dramatic movies out of him. Whatever it is, I'm excited to see what's next for Cooper Hoffman. Yeah, I. it's really hard to pick. I have to say, so whoever, who stole a show for me, it's Bradley Cooper. I mean, his, well, we were, we talked about it before, but his, it's electric. If if you don't really have an intention of seeing this movie, when it comes out, just find it on whatever, wherever it's streaming. Skip to when Bradley Cooper makes his appearance in there. He, he's dressed in all white. You can't miss him. And just watch that scene and just and just enjoy life itself in the in those 12 to 15 minutes. Who won the movie? Who's the big star? I think it's Alana Haim. I think there's a couple of reasons because you made the John Peters connection to A Star is Born. This movie isn't as big, but I think, especially with award season coming up, I think she's going to, they're going to try to give her the Lady Gaga treatment yeah. of, of like pop star turning actress, turning serious actress. You know, I, I think people are really she's already been nominated. She's already been nominated for the Golden Globe for uh, this movie. Um, I don't know. I don't think she won, but still, no. yeah, they're very clearly pushing that performance. And she yeah. was great too. She was, and she's the one, the winner because I think she'll get a lot more work than like Cooper Hoffman will. Because Cooper Hoffman's just still young, you know. Like he's that role is so specific for him. I I think he'll have a hard time finding leading roles in that age group where his style will work. Like. Yeah. As he grows, he can probably take on more diverse performances. But for his first debut performance, it was excellent. And for his first, you know, but it was catered to him. And I think that's yeah. why it worked too well, because you have a master craftsman, craftsman in Paul Thomas Anderson who knows exactly what he's doing. You know, yeah. you don't have to worry it, about a thing. It's like I said earlier, but like the next thing for Cooper Hoffman is going to be really curious to see if, like, you know, he just, just waste to work with Paul Thomas Anderson again, or if he goes to the next scene comedy, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm excited for both of them, really. Where, where do you rank this in your Paul Thomas Anderson movies? So on the Paul Thomas Anderson movies that I've seen, I've seen Buggy Nights. Um, I've seen Punch Truck Love. I've seen um, Inherit Vice and now this. So this might be a, um, I'm, you know, obviously, like I said, I'm not very well versed in the Paul Thomas Anderson of it all, but this probably has to be a 1A, 1B with me of Boogie Nights, where, you know, both very similar movies that take place in the 70s are kind of mostly hangout movies. But I love this movie. You know, <laughs> it's the exact type of movie I love. The 70s era is something that I love the music of and everything. And the Yo Drops just worked for me right there. And yeah. <laughs> so. so so for me, the only Paul Thomas Anderson I haven't seen is Hard Eight, his first movie, Magnolia, and Phantom Thread. I've seen everything else. Okay. 
And where'd you rank it? <laughs> I, it's I think it's his most rewatchable movie by far. It's the that, movie I'll probably revisit the most. And the length is definitely a part of it. But it's a better rom-com than Punch Drug Love by a mile, I would say. Punch Drug Love is more dramatic too than this, which, which is fine because it has Adam Sandler. But um, I agree. Like we said earlier, this movie is literally a series of vignettes. And I could easily see if I were the type to have cable. Um, I could tune in this on HBO and be like, oh, this scene's on, this scene's on. Oh, I got to watch this scene, you know? Over and over and over again, where pretty much there's so many scenes that you're just thinking like, I got to see this part right now. Come on. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, so for me, I I think Boogie Nights, there's just something magical about that movie and like the content of that movie and it working so well and Burt Reynolds just being like the coolest motherfucker on the planet that it that it, that'll always just kind of be number one for me but i think this is two i think the master is a better film i think the master is probably his best film i've overall. never seen that one but it's between that and there will be blood for the best film inherent vice is just like a trip and it's an experience and it doesn't confusing. make a lot of sense it's very confusing but if you just lean into it you'll have a blast with it but I think this is number two for me now. I think Bo- Boogie Nights is is still number one for me. But I, I, yeah, this shot up my Paul Thomas Anderson power rankings. I love a good hangout movie. I love a movie with very little to do. Don't, and especially in an age of we have to go save the thing and X and Y and just running from planet to planet and this to that and city to city. It's just nice to take a breath and. Enjoy 1973, San Fernando Valley. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Does this movie work as a Muppet adaptation? Um, no. (laughs) This movie isn't wacky enough uh, to be Muppet-related unless you had uh, (laughs) Sam Sam the Eagle playing uh, John Peters. That'd be the only thing I could think of. That'd be great. <laughs> Sam the Peters. Sam. Pe- I, I was thinking Gonzo as John Peters. He's just Gonzo's, Gonzo. Gonzo's so weird. Gonzo's so weird, but he's not intimidating enough to be uh, John Peters in this movie. <laughs> That's true, but none of the Muppets are. They're Muppets. Like none of them are really intimidating. I, yeah, Sammy and Eagle. I guess will be the closest cop <laughs> to intimidating. See, John, I I don't know if John Peters was super super intimidating in this movie because I got the understanding that if as long as you are not in his circle, you ha- there was nothing about you that he gave a shit about. Yeah, it was whatever was in front of him. That's all that mattered to him. He was very uh, one track minded, where he just go from thing to thing to thing, especially in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, I would agree. This probably doesn't work well as a Muppet adaptation. Unfortunately, it it would be. What if what if Alana Haim was played by Miss Piggy? Yeah, no, no. If it was Kermit, Kermit's like a fifteen-year-old frog. No, 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 no. It's still Cooper Hoffman and Miss Piggy. That's the movie. <laughs> it's, it's the only change. That's the only change. It's just Frank Oz voicing Miss Piggy. <laughs> I mean, you're acting like every time we do this category, I'm like, yeah, I'd probably see that movie. <laughs> oh yeah, well, this category is in here for us. And so the audience at home knows that we just love the Muppets. There's an artist out there um, that uh, our friend has gotten commissions from where he does classic movie scenes, but uh, complete with Muppets. So our friend, um, 
got a specific uh, commission that was the ticking of one pellet one two three with um the count saying uh one two three <laughs> like yeah yeah i remember that yeah we're, we're gonna have to give him a shout out we're i can't remember his name right now but we will shout him out on instagram later tommy give yes. me a rating okay so like we said a lot this a lot of my favorite movies are hangout movies um you know like this definitely um days to confuse super bad kind of movies that are pretty much just being in the moment of hanging out with these people and just like, oh, this is just really fun. I want to be friends with these people. I want to uh, hang out with them. I wish I could be there with them. So this definitely was up there and definitely is in, in my, you know, top now five, I guess, like hangout movies. So I have to give this a 4.5 out of five. So there's not really much I can complain about this movie. Um, you know, it, from the whole entire time, it was just fun to be in this world and, I wish I could be in this world again. It's a movie that I could easily see myself rewatching, not even just for, oh, this random scene's on, but just in general, where it's just like, you know, this came out 10 years earlier. I probably would have watched this 10, 20 times. <laughs> so I love this movie. I echo your sentiment, Tommy. I am a four and a half out of five. I think this movie is just, it's a, watching a master in Paul Thomas Anderson at his craft. We didn't go into everything, but the cameras, the cameras never still in this movie. It's always moving. It's always panning. It's always zooming. It's going everywhere. The cinematography is just wonderful. It's so bright. It's so distinctly 70s without a sepia filter on it, which is just wonderful. I, I love that there was like no sepia, but it still looked very 70s. The music's great. The soundtrack's great. The performances are great. It's a hangout movie. You're going to enjoy yourself. You're just, just have a beer, sit back and relax. A little popcorn. Exactly. That's all that's all you're gonna need for this movie. I'll give it a 4.5 out of five. Easily my favorite so far that I've seen from 2021. And I could not recommend this movie enough. Yeah, um, this is I haven't seen it. Two thumbs up. We're taking it from Roger Ebert. <laughs> oh, cringe, cringe. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm Tim Sestito. I'm Tony Tavanek. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around with us. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you all next week when we cover high fidelity. Have a good day, night, whenever you're listening to this. Later.